Batman 66 and The Real Avengers. Welcome to FW Team Up, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Siskoid. And we're Ruth. And Darren Sutherland. Taking you through a classic uh, superhero slash TV team up. Batman 66 and the real Avengers, uh, Steed and Mrs. Peel from Batman 66 meets Steed and Mrs. Peel released digital first, then in print as a, I think, six issue series. Ruth, Darren, this was one you chose. Is uh, 60s TV important to you? Oh, definitely. Some of our favorite TV shows are from the 60s. Yeah, we love so many adventure shows from then. I mean, Star Trek is an all-time favorite of mine. The Wild Wild West, The Saint, The Prisoner, and of course, The Avengers. And I enjoyed a lot of the comedies. Get Smart, Hogan's Heroes, The Munsters, and of course, one of my favorites, The Monkees. Yes, you do love The Monkees. And cartoons from that period are some of our favorites. Johnny Quest, we're huge fans of. The Jetsons, Ruth Loves Underdog. And we're both huge fans of Rocky and Bullwinkle. And did you watch these many of these shows, you know, as they were first released or as kids? Or is it more like syndication got you into them? Syndication. See, yeah, yeah, they were on. Um, these were the shows that were on every day in the early 70s when we would come home from school. Well, not that I knew Ruth then, but independently <laughs> when we right. would come home from school. <laughs> yeah, the same for me in, in a weird way because uh, as a French kid – well, not French from France, but, you know, a French-speaking and listening kid, uh, I did not have access to English-language TV until I learned the language. And uh, so a lot of the shows I watched as a kid were actually 60s shows dubbed into French. So, oh, wow. You know, there was a lag, right? So, so the stuff that really came out in the early 70s, I don't know, but <laughs> because I was watching 60s TV that was on a lag basically so a lot of these shows and you know time tunnel and oh yeah uh, yeah a lot of these uh you know i, I dream of genie which uh you know th all of that stuff bewitched that was all current tv for french kids at the time <laughs> so we were like on a i don't know five to ten year <laughs> lag uh so a lot of these shows for me too are is of course it i guess it counts as syndication but a lot of these shows were formative for me as well Oh, definitely for us, too. That's funny. I think you got the good end of the deal because 60s TV is better than 70s TV. <laughs> yeah, a lot of those violent cop shows and all that that, that 70s TV is famous for, I, you know, I've never seen a single episode of, I don't know, Starsky and Hutch or whatever. I'm so glad you're on the show because you're some of the, not some of the, the nicest people in the podcasting world. I've said this on other shows and I, I do mean it. Uh, oh. So it's great to have, and it's really the first show, the first FW team up where I have two guests. Oh, really? Wow. You know, I hadn't realized that. I've, I've listened to quite a few of the episodes, but certainly yeah. not all of them, but I hadn't realized that. That's neat. And it's so great to do a show with you. We always enjoy any time we get a chance to record with you, but this is, I think, maybe the first time we recorded just the three of us. It's neat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually there's like a third party there, or fourth party, I guess, uh, you know, on straight out of Gallifrey, or that's usually where we meet. And uh, right. so it's it's fun to, to, to actually get you to all time to myself. But also, <laughs> but no, it's not really a three-way team-up, because Steed and Mrs. Peel are actually an item, just like uh, Batman and Robin are, you know, a, a duo. So... I agree. But still, we get the chance to have the two voices. Steed and Mrs. Peel can be two separate voices when we get to the synopsis. Uh, because, well, in each episode of FW Team Up, each panelist or group of panelists uh, pick one character to defend. So uh, in this case, uh, which one will you choose, Ruth and Darren? Oh, I think it's definite that we'll choose the Avengers. So I'll take Batman 66, gladly. I, I've probably seen more Batman 66 than I have the Avengers. It's one of the, the shows that I had real trouble finding. Uh, so I haven't seen as many episodes as I would like. As is customary, we preface with reasons or why we like the characters we've chosen. So why? what's so great about the British Avengers? Well, for me, the show is just a perfect blend of so many things that I like. Uh, it's about British secret agent John Steed, and he's got a lot of various partners over the course of the series. And I love that it has um, espionage and a bit of mystery mixed together because we love both of those genres. And it's filled with so much action, and I love the witty humor, sort of that 
uh, British dry wit that it has. It's got hints of science fiction, and actually, it blended those together so well, it created a new subgenre that was known as spy-fi, and lots of other shows in the 60s incorporated that uh, format into their shows as well. One of the reasons I love the series is because it was revolutionary in its depiction of strong and independent female characters Mm -hmm. who know how to take care of themselves and often get the best of the bad guys with judo and karate. I love it. Yeah, it really was uh, far ahead of what American shows were doing with uh, strong female characters at the time. Yeah, Emma Peel is so hot. (laughs) <laughs> to incarnate our and good friend Chad, and yeah. independent. exactly. No, but that's what that's what's thought about her. Uh, how cool Absolutely. she is, you know. And you're right. And they never make it. You know, it's one of those things, Siskoid, where it's just she is that way. There's never any like, oh, this is different. She just is that, and everyone accepts it. And I just love that approach for the series. Yeah, no damsel in distress there. <laughs> Not at all. No. But we've taught the Avengers, so tell us why you would eagerly choose Batman 66. Uh, well, I, you know, Batman, I, I get to talk about Batman quite a lot on this show because he teams up with a lot of people, it seems. Uh, and uh, I know it's not going to be the last time I talk about Batman 66 in, in particular, so I'll just name one thing that I think is great about Batman 66, and it's how iconic uh, something as simple as the sound effects and the transitions that the show oh, yeah. uses is. Uh, you know, the... It, it's become part of pop culture. Everybody knows the Batman punch going wham or pow or during those fights. You know, just to not show the violence uh, and turn it into a cartoon. So you would cover the screen with a, a big eye popping, uh, you know, sound effect. That is brilliant. I mean, that I, I know that the show was meant to be campy and kind of a comedy, but still, the idea that it would do that, and uh, you know, the transition, I'm going to use that transition throughout the show, probably, that uh, <laughs> I love know, it. with the spinning, what, what we know as the spinning newspaper very often, that's the, that kind of transition, but with the, uh, the, the Bat logo coming towards you and then back, uh, that is so famous that people that have never watched the show know this. You know about it. So uh, just for those little details that have become pop culture icons, I think Batman sixty six has as it's a rightful place in people's hearts. Oh, I agree, Cisco. I mean, it's it's a part of my childhood. I watch that show every day after school, mm-hmm. and I'll tell you a story. The it was shown on a TV station that was an, about an hour and a half away from where I lived because we lived in a rural area. But there was a Pal's Diner that sponsored it, and they would show their commercials and you know it would say sponsored by. So every time we were in Kingsport, Tennessee, my parents knew that I insisted that we eat at Pal's Diner because they sponsored Batman. <laughs> <laughs> You're a loyal viewer. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, and I used to watch it in French. So uh, there was like... Oh, wow. They still put... It was still called Batman. But, uh, you know, they would uh, put the word bat uh, in front of everything... A uh, French word, you know? So like, the whatever, the bat handkerchief with the bat mouchoir. And <laughs> so um, it, it worked in French because a, a French dub makes it inherently campier. Uh, ah. Just like kung fu movies with the with you know with an English dub just sound ridiculous, uh, right. and and really when you watch the actual Chinese film the story and the philosophy and there's a lot more to it than the the dub but it, so the same thing with uh, French uh, dubbed television like this it just made just the way that Batman spoke oui Robin and stuff like that <laughs> I mean I've seen that in French language sketch comedy shows quite a bit so it was big <laughs> here as well. <laughs> I'll have to look for that. That sounds like fun to see. Uh, yeah, it is quite amusing. Uh, and, and I think it worked for that format where I would normally not want to watch dubbed stuff. I'd rather watch the original language and read subtitles if I must. But uh, that's the kind of thing that kind of works anyway, you know, just because of the way the the show, the tone of the show. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, Batman really needs no introduction. I guess nobody really... Uh, wonders who we were talking about here. But the Avengers, it's not in everybody's wheelhouse. So let's talk about the Avengers uh, television and publication because they were featured in a number of comics, not just this one. Uh, Let's talk about their history. Will you do the honors? Oh, absolutely. So the Avengers premiered in January 1961 in the UK, more than two years before the comic that used that title. And the original series ran for six seasons between 61 and 69, and then returned for two more seasons in 76 
76 and 77. And the show was huge in the 1960s around the world. It aired in over 100 different countries uh, and really was part of the British invasion of the 1960s. And it was the first British television to air in the U.S., on one of the three major networks in primetime TV. And Patrick McNee plays the British secret agent, John Steed. He wears fashionable suits and a bowler hat and always carries an umbrella. And he uses both the bowler and the umbrella as weapons at times. And Steed has impeccable manners, a winning smile, and I love his sarcastic wit. And Steed had a variety of partners throughout the series. Most people remember Mrs. Peel, but actually... Before Mrs. Pill, there was Honor Blackman, who played anthropologist Kathy Gale during the second and third seasons. She has a sharp wit. She's skilled in judo. And she was so popular, and the show was so popular, that she and Patrick McNee actually recorded a song at that time called Kinky Boots. <laughs> that was a huge hit. And then she left the show to star in the James Bond film Goldfinger. And they actually rewrote the part just for her when they were able to get it to add in more judo and, and such that she knew. And Diana Rigg joined the series for seasons four and five as Mrs. Emma Pill. The producers never thought that they could top the popularity of Honor Blackman, but lightning did strike twice. Mrs. Pill became the most well-known character of uh, Steed's partners, and I'm sure that's why the comics so often feature Steed and Mrs. Pill. Then Diana Rigg left the series to appear in a James Bond film called On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Linda Thorson then comes in in season six as uh, rookie agent Tara King. That season got off to a little bit of a rocky start. Uh, the ABC network in the U.S. was becoming a little bit more predominant, in, uh, and it led to Brian Clemens being replaced as the producer at the beginning of the season. The season got off to a rocky start, and it was decided a few episodes in to bring Brian Clemens back, and he got the show back on track, and season six gets better as it goes. And the series returned for the two more seasons in the late 70s, and then they used the title The New Avengers. And again, that was before the comic of the same title. And uh, John Steed, he was a little older at that point in time, so he had two partners at the same time. Mike Gambit was a young, roguish agent who was a skilled marksman and liked to drive fast cars. And Joanna Lumley played Purdy, and she was trained in martial arts, of course, and she was named for the well-known line of rifles in the UK. Joanna Lumley later starred in the sci-fi series Sapphire and Still, and then became an international star in her role in the hit comedy Absolutely Fabulous. And I think I remember, Siskoi, that you're a fan of Sapphire and Still, big right? Yeah, big fan of that uh, sort of the, the off-brand Doctor Who <laughs> the weird Doctor Who <laughs> ripoff over at ITV. Yeah, no, it's uh, she's amazing. Yeah, it's a good show. But like Batman, the Avengers weren't only on TV. Uh, they spawned many spinoffs in other media. The Avengers was a stage play produced in London in the early 70s. And there were a dozen novels released throughout the 1960s that featured John Steed with each of his three primary female colleagues, Kathy Gale, Emma Peel, and Tara King. And novels were also released during the run of the New Avengers. And additional novels were written over time, including one that was very popular called Too Many Targets. That one featured John Steed and all of his 1960s era colleagues. And Patrick McNee himself wrote a couple of novels that were very well received, Deadline and Dead Duck. And comic strips were serialized in the UK in the late 60s, featuring John Steed with Kathy Gale and then later with Emma Peel. And bringing us up to a title that's familiar today, in the 1990s, Eclipse Comics released a miniseries called Steed and Mrs. Peel. I think that was the first time the use of that was done in the comics. And then today, Boom Studios still uses that same title for their comics. And of course, the series we're reviewing today is done in cooperation with Boom. And fans have been treated to a terrific series of new audio episodes in recent years from the UK company Big Finish. And they specialize in audio adventures of a lot of series I enjoy, like The Prisoner, Sherlock Holmes, Torchwood, and of course, Doctor Who, which is how they got started and what they are best known for. And of course, that's a one that we're all fans of. I know too, Cisco. Mm -hmm, yeah. And uh, Big Finish has so far adapted eight stories from the comics from the 1960s that featured John Steed and Emma Peel. And to go along with those audios, they restored those comics and released them in a compilation book to go along with the audios from Big Finish. And the audios have been a big hit so far. And next up this year, they're adapting that 
a popular novel to many targets into an audio series. I'm just glad we're getting new stories about the Avengers. We're really lucky. Yeah. Or adaptations, yeah. And, of course, there's this book that we're going to review today that's also uh, features them. Today, it seems like the Avengers are making a comeback. That's nice. Uh, But people have forgotten about them, uh, and maybe because they've been overshadowed by, uh, you know, the Marvel uh, team, right? That's why the movie was called Marvel's Avengers, really, because that you know in the UK they couldn't be confused with the real Avengers. Yeah, it's that's a really good point, Siskoid. Uh, you know, the the Avengers did have their own movie. They made it to the movies first in 1998 with uh, the Avengers, which uh, we won't talk about right now. Apparently, it's not but very good. It, it it has the reputation for being really awful. I will say that it is not as bad as the reputation, but it's certainly not good. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But I think that, you know, if that movie had been successful, we could have seen a nice resurgence of the Avengers. I think that movie was such a flop that it really tarnished the Avengers for a while. And then you're absolutely right. Uh, Marvel's Avengers came in during that uh, low in the Avengers uh, time. But yeah, I know my, uh, we have friends who live in the UK and one of our good friends there, Paul, you know, he even pointed out that in the UK, the first movie is called Marvel's The Avengers Assemble because oh. just the Avengers is not, uh, you know, over there, the thing you would think of would be John Steed and the team as opposed to the Marvel Comics characters. So it's really interesting. But certainly now, after a decade of Marvel movies, I don't think there are many people around the world who would think of Steed and Mrs. Peel as opposed to Marvel's Avengers. Mm-hmm. And it did spawn, I mean, it was one of the first, if not the first, of many spy shows through the 60s and uh, sort of set the, the standard for it. And, and look at the, the cast. I mean, the two first female leads, you know, became two of the most known Bond girls ever. Uh, right. Pussy Galore and James Bond's wife. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's uh, some pretty good cred. Unfortunately, Patrick McNee, when he did show up in a Bond film, I, I sort of at, at the start of um, A View to a Kill, yes. I was like, oh, it's kind of a neat crossover. I'm in my head, you know, it's actually Steed. <laughs> and then he gets killed unceremoniously. And I'm like, no, it wasn't Steed after all. It wasn't Steed. <laughs> it wasn't. I like that. <laughs> I like your thoughts because I was the same way. It was so exciting to see him. And then, yeah, yeah. it wasn't him. Yeah. And then, of course, we get another crossover in that 98 movie because Sean Connery is the villain in the Avengers movie in 1998. Yeah, kind of on purpose, I- I'm guessing. I, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, it's not it's not fortuitous casting. It has to be on purpose. Oh, oh absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, he, he actually was interested in the role because of, you know, the 60s sort of crossovering of it. You know, he remembered that fondly, too. Uh, he himself was disappointed when he saw the movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's weird. I haven't seen it, but uh, I really should. I kind of know the plot, you know, like some sort of weather machine or something. But yeah, just for a frame of reference, it you could tell it was written by people who had seen just enough of the Avengers to realize, oh, they did some campy stuff. So they did a campy movie. OK, well, I, I'm not necessarily against that. Uh, in fact, no, me neither. If they did a good campy movie. <laughs> yeah, we're going to be reading a campy story today. Uh, because if you put Batman 66 in anything, and you got that strong, you know, mod 60s feel, you know, the story doesn't take itself too seriously. But uh, mm. I think it caters to the characters rather well on both sides. So uh, let's get into that synopsis so that people know what we're talking about here. Batman 66 meets Steed and Mrs. Peel by writer Ian Edgington, who was the writer on the... Boom series, wasn't he? And artist Matthew Dow Smith with covers by the incomparable Michael and Laura Allred. Here he goes.
Bruce Wayne is touring a precious gemstone exhibition with the president of a British company he's doing business with, United Automation. The forward, Miss Michaela Goff, who is in the process of asking him out on a date when Catwoman and her feline followers show up to rob the exhibit. Bruce calls for help with his Batwatch, and Robin and Alfred, in a Batman costume, jump in the Batmobile. A woman steps into view dressed in black leather. She's ready for a fight, and a biff and a bop later, Catwoman's henchmen are on the ground. Catwoman makes for a run for the exit, but the hook handle of an umbrella catches her ankle, and in her fall, she definitely does not fall on her feet. John Steed and Mrs. Pill step forward and introduce themselves. And then suddenly, and unexpectedly, Michaela Goff faints in Steed's arms. Robin and Alf Batman finally show up, but they're too late. It's all been taken care of. Later, at police headquarters, Robin and the real Batman are introduced to John Steed and Emma Peel. Mrs. Pill comments that few men can carry off a cape and cowl ensemble and tells Steed to take note, but he's only interested if it comes in tweed. Catching us up on the plot, Steed explains that several gems of unique clarity have been stolen from museums and private collections in the UK. We then see a close-up of a fountain pen in Steed's jacket pocket and learn that a mysterious woman is listening in on the conversation. Outside, three strange figures dressed all in black are reading newspapers with titles like Archer Arraigned, Bird Barred, and Cat Caged. The trio stands in unison and begin to walk across the street. Batman offers to bring the Avengers to the Batcave to use the Batcomputer and assures the commissioner that Bruce Wayne and Miss Goff are fine after their scare at the museum. He also wants to interview Catwoman as to who paid her to rob the museum. But the three mystery men are already in the cell block to silence her. Easily breaking through the wall, Catwoman fights back and realizes those aren't masks they're wearing. Just then, Batman and company show up, and the Avengers recognize what they're up against. Cybernauts! Batman starts to melt the lock with his bat laser, but these cybernauts are getting orders to kill. Now! Steed reaches his umbrella through the bars of the cell and opens it, explaining that it's made of a fine weave of steel thread and carbon fiber, and it will protect Catwoman while Batman continues his work. The lock gives way. Catwoman is freed, and Robin uses handcuffs to snap the door shut again. Steed is saddened by the state of his umbrella, explaining that it was a gift from Mother. Mrs. Pill consoles him with a promise to get him a new one for Christmas. Steed explains the Cybermen shouldn't be able to break through the bars based on their past experience with them, but he's soon proven wrong as the bars clang to the ground. Batman sprays one of the Cybernauts with bat anti-oil to rust him immobile. To destroy the other two, Robin suggests they be pit against one another, and the heroes maneuver themselves, so a quick dodge will do just that. The Mystery Woman recalls the damaged machine men, and they leave by the hole they made. She calls on one of Batman's fiendish foes, Lord Marmaduke Fogg, with whom she's working to smoke up a pea soup fog in which the automatons can escape back at police HQ. Catwoman insists she never knew who hired her. A call comes in. Michaela Goff has been kidnapped from her hotel room. Arriving at the hotel, Mrs. Pill has changed from her black leather outfit into one of her more comfortable cloth jumpsuits known as an Emma Pillar. She points out that the hotel room certainly bears the hallmarks of a cybernaut attack. Batman suspects that the White Star Gem wasn't the only target, but also Miss Goff, who he mentions is the head of United Automation. Steed suddenly then remembers that that was the name of the company that created the Cybernauts. Mrs. Pill steps forward to share the Avengers' original encounter with the Cybernauts following the deaths of several prominent businessmen working in the field of electronics. It was the Cybernauts under the direction of their creator, Dr. Clement Armstrong, who was attempting to eliminate the competition. Ironically, Steed then explains the Cybernauts were led to their victims by radio transmitters and fountain pens they had been given. Batman wonders how Miss Goff fits into all of this, and Steed and Mrs. Pill surmise the company's assets were probably sold off. Batman gasses the Avengers to bring them to the Batcave. By the time they wake up refreshed, he's already conducted an analysis on the captured Cybernaut. Seems their brains use diamonds for data storage, so something like the prized White Star could be cut up to create an army, like the one marching on Wayne Manor. As Steed and Mrs. Pill discuss theories with the dynamic duo, an alarm suddenly roars to life warning the group of the approaching army of cybernauts just as they enter the perimeter of the Batcave. Robin immediately suspects Steed and Mrs. Peel, and after offering to be searched, Steed then finds the fountain pen sticking from his jacket pocket 
and they realize how they were followed. Batman uses his car's bat beam to zap a pair of cybernauts, but a third flings his dead comrade at them. Batman then tosses canisters of bat anti-oil spray to Steed and Mrs. Pill, who slow them down while the caped crusader quickly makes his way to the atomic pile. Upstairs, Aunt Harriet feels the vibrations from the fracas, but Alfred covers for Mr. Wayne. Just as everyone's can runs out of anti-oil, Batman sends an electromagnetic pulse through the cave, stopping the machine men in their tracks, but also the Pen. Having dealt with the fountain pen homing devices in the past, Steve offers to have a team at the Ministry send over the specs, which helps them to reactivate the signal so they can follow it back to the source. Two vehicles race through the countryside. Steed is the passenger in the Batmobile as Batman drives. Meanwhile, Robin sits nervously in the sidecar as Mrs. Pill speeds alongside on the Batcycle. Batman consoles Steed and tells him not to berate himself about the homing device. When Mrs. Pill attempts to calm Robin by explaining that she has competed in the Isle of Man race back home, though she crashed two years in a row, but she's certain the third time will be the charm. Approaching a lighthouse on the coast, the homing device confirms to Steed that the that it's the origin of the signal. The Cape Crusader and his chum walk up the walls of the lighthouse while the Avengers take the more direct route. Both duos reach the top at the same time and discover that their enemy is Michaela Goff herself. Holy revelation, Batman! Steed immediately realizes that Miss Goff planted the fountain pen on him when she pretended to faint at the museum. And then Lord Fogg steps into view, holding an odd contraption with a nozzle attached to canisters on his back. As the two back slowly toward the airship waiting outside, Fogg releases African death bees into the lighthouse before locking our heroes inside. At first, the group stands still to avoid attracting the bees' attention. But then Mrs. Pill begins to wiggle and shimmy and shake from side to side, and Batman realizes she is talking to the bees through a ritualized dance. Steed and Robin join in on the dance as Batman uses his bat laser to open up the door for their escape. But the villains have forgotten that bats also have wings. Goff and Fogg are headed for Britain, and the heroes are in pursuit. Batman and Emma are on the Batplane, Steed and Robin on a Batcopter. Flying Cybernauts are sent after them, and only on Mrs. Peel's suggestion does Batman roll the plane at the right moment to avoid the robots. But they're gaining on each of the vehicles. Robin starts to work on a gadget that could interfere with their circuits, but he needs time. Thanks to Steed keeping the copter just ahead, Robin is finally able to pull the switch and immobilize the Cybernauts, just as they were starting to punch through Batman's cockpit. Meanwhile, Fogg threw up a smokescreen to hide his airship. The heroes have to return to Gotham to regroup. Since they now know the villains are likely to try and steal the real White Star, they head for London. Bruce and Dick cleverly disguised with thin mustaches. Steed and Mrs. Peel meet our disguised dynamic duo at the airport in Steed's classic convertible Bentley. Unfortunately, they've been unable to locate the airship and surmise that Fog's fog bank rendered the ship imperceptible to radar. There's also been no movement at the Fog Estate. Meanwhile, we see Miss Goff with another of her confederates, the calm and cool Mr. Freeze, who informs her our heroes have taken the bait and have arrived at the Tower of London where the White Star Diamond is on display. There our heroes are greeted by Detective Inspector Gordon, who assures them the White Star Diamond is quite safe. On a hunch, Batman opens the jewel's case and finds coolant canisters keeping the exhibit frozen. The White Star has been replaced with a nice replica, and that means Mr. Freeze is in on it. Indeed, he's in the room, dressed as a beefeater. Or are he and the other beefeaters cybernauts? Robin's fist finds out the hard truth. Steed and Mrs. Pill realize the firm that installed the new security system must have been working for Miss Goff which gave them the opportunity to switch the real White Star Diamond with a copy. Steed's umbrella protects him and Mrs. Steele once again, and he then hands canisters of anti-oil to the group, having the Ministry have made up a batch. But a voice announces they played that card too often, and these Cybernauts are coated with a non-stick polymer. Our heroes continue to dodge the Cybernauts while trying to think of a plan when Robin comments that he wishes there was a way to cool their jets. This gives Mrs. Pill an idea and she turns her attention to the tanks of coolants in the display case. She and Robin turn and freeze the cybernauts in their tracks. 
The British Batmobile rams through the gates at Fogg's old mansion, now owned by Miss Goff's company. Inside the house, Batman and Emma Peel face Fogg, who drops them in a steaming fog machine. They hold on to the edge of that pit trap for dear life. Entering through his side door, Steed and Robin comment on how cold the room is, just as the floor drops out from underneath them. Steed catches the ledge with his umbrella handle and grabs Robin's hand to prevent him from falling into Mr. Freeze's iced scream maker. Batman has Mrs. Peel grab something from his utility belt and throw it into the fog machine. It's fire-retardant foam, which creates a soft surface on which to land. Batman gives Mrs. Peel a lift and she launches herself through the trap door where she knocks fog out with a swift kick. In the other room, Robin goads Freeze into leaning over the edge so he can wrap a bat line around his arm. The frozen fiend goes for his freeze gun, inadvertently pulling Steed and Robin up. Steed opens his umbrella to protect them from a blast from Mr. Freeze's gun. And Robin punches the confused Freeze right through the brittle umbrella. The dynamic duos are reunited, but Batman can't call Detective Inspector Gordon. His bat communicator is being jammed. A door opens. They walk through. A gate closes behind them, and they're faced with four very human-looking cybernauts in the form of Fogg's former Criminal Academy pupils, Sheila, Kit, Daisy, and Rosamond. Fogg and Freeze gloat, but when one of the machine girls rips Freeze's suit, they realize Miss Goff may want to get rid of them too. He's saved by Batman's multi-purpose bat sealant. Robin next tangles one of the cybernauts up in a bat line, but robot or not, he can't make himself hit a girl. However, Mrs. Pill is not so inclined, and with a wham and a clang later, the cybernaut debutantes are looking the worse for the wear. Steed suggests a hasty retreat, and Mr. Freeze and Lord Fogg join our heroes as Steed triggers a lever to raise the elevators back to the floor above, where they find themselves surrounded by several cybernauts dressed all in black. Steed wonders aloud what Miss Goff's purpose must be, and her voice responds over an intercom, saying she wants revenge on them for the death of her father. Professor Armstrong, who invented the Cybernauts. To give his team an edge, Batman shoots his bat laser at the sprinkler system. Its heavy indoor range shorting out the Cybernauts with exposed circuits. Unfortunately, that's only a few of them. Robin tries to attack with a spanner he's found, but these machine men are even stronger than the previous models they tangled with. Meanwhile, Steed is attempting to reason with Miss Goff through the intercom. He implores her to think about what her father really wanted to accomplish. Yes, he was misguided, but he wanted to create a technology that would help others overcome the unfortunate circumstances he had to endure. Suddenly, Miss Goff steps from the shadows and invites our surprised heroes to ask Professor Armstrong exactly what he would do as she gestures to the computer databanks along the wall. It is the mind of Professor Armstrong, the creator of the Cybernauts. He was in the process of transcribing his consciousness into the computer when he died. Miss Goff has spent her life rebuilding her father's global business to complete his work. Miss Goff reveals the White Star Diamond, which is being used to restore her father's brain and a cybernaut head. When Mrs. Pill makes a flippant remark, Miss Goff attacks, and a roundhouse kick from Mrs. Pill dislodges a mask, and our heroes are surprised to see that Miss Goff is in fact a cybernaut. Steed isn't surprised, however, explaining that Professor Armstrong never had a daughter. Miss Goff can't believe it, but when she sees her own reflection, she punches through a panel into a databank of live wires and short-circuits herself. Later, as our story wraps up, Steed explains the Ministry was able to crack Armstrong's encrypted files and learn that Miss Goff was an advanced model he was working on when he died. Somehow, the unit was activated and pieced together a false history from a series of patchwork memories. As our group of heroes approach a large door... Mrs. Pill tells them to straighten their capes and look smart so they can meet their biggest fan. And the doors open to reveal the Queen of England. And that's it. Right? Yay. <laughs> Fun finish. Uh, what did you think of this, uh, I guess, I get 12-parter, but 6-parter, depending on how you read it? Yeah, it's interesting. We read it first as the 12-parter digitally when it came out, and then later we picked up the trade collection. So for this, we reread it all in one volume. So it was interesting to sort of see how the pages flowed together. It's a fun story. I always enjoyed the Batman 66. Uh, I read probably almost all of them, if not all of them. Jeff Parker did a wonderful job of uh, getting it started. So many other artists, including Carl Kiesel, who's a favorite of ours, you know, 
came in and did the art at different points in times. It was just a, a wonderful little weekly digital series to get. And it was a delight for me to see the Avengers show up with them because being on TV at exactly the same time, they're a perfect complement. Both shows had some camp to them. Both shows, like you mentioned earlier, Siskoid are duos working together. So uh, it was a perfect fit, and I'm always happy to see those characters. I thought it was great to see them interact with Batman and Robin, and I thought Lord Fogg was a perfect villain to pull into the story. This is sort of a sequel to other stories where Batman and Robin uh, of that era went to London. Yeah, because there is the uh, Londinium three-parter in which Fogg appears. Uh, and uh, it also references Batman 66 issue 4, uh, where he faces off against the Mad Hatter in uh, in England. So uh, this isn't their first trip, and they acknowledge the other trips, both on TV and in comics. Yeah, I liked that. And did you catch the, the sort of Easter egg uh, as far as Michaela Goff goes? We didn't, Siskoid, but you did. So tell everyone else, like you told us. Well, you know, at first... Before I did any kind of research, I thought, oh, Michaela Goff, uh, it's it's a reference to Michael Goff, who was uh, uh, Alfred in the 1989 Batman movie, right? Uh, so she's named after, to me, at, at the start of the story, I'm thinking, oh, it's it's like a reference to a Batman family actor, even though not from this era, although he was active, very active as an actor in this era. Uh, so then uh, I'm I'm looking up, you know, Cybernauts and what episode they appeared in and all that. He played Professor Armstrong. So oh. so he, he was actually, she's named after the actor who played the person who is her father in that story. So it's a pretty clever little nod. Oh, that's a perfect touch. Yeah, that's, I love it. That's fantastic. I wish I had rewatched uh, the Cyberman episode in preparing for this Uh too many things to make excuses for, but I, I wish I had. That would have been really fun. I'm so glad that you uh, let us know about those things. <laughs> I would say another little Easter egg that I liked is when Steed mentioned that his umbrella was a gift from Mother, because in the series, Mother isn't really his mom, but rather a code name of a portly man with a mustache who is actually Steed's boss. Yeah, I like that reference. He's M, right? Yeah. So yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah his elm, uh, <laughs> uh, a rather uh, a rather funny elm. Uh, I always liked uh, him. The, uh, the character is not in it very much, but I always liked him when he was. And I, I just thought I always loved the cliffhangers for the Avengers. So I loved in the digital version because of it being divided up into tw- twelve parts. You got so many cliffhangers, and I just liked that. It was lots of fun. Did you think the the, the tone of the story served um, both series? Well, I would say despite all the many positive things I've said, and I I am really positive, I like this story. It's fun. I would say, though, as someone who knows both Batman 66 and the Avengers, I would say this isn't a great introduction for the Avengers if you aren't already familiar with them. Some things are, are right on and some things aren't quite. So it's a little bit of a mix. I would agree with you. I would say when Miss Pills introduced and she has that great fight scene, she's doing a lot of sports references there that seem to be out of character. Yeah, and- that was an odd introduction for her because if she ever did that, it wasn't very often. It certainly wasn't common. And then, uh, you know, Steed is sort of the, he's the investigator and the problem solver in the Avengers. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't really get to do a lot of that here, but this is Batman's book and that's Batman's role. So uh, I could imagine someone who's not familiar with them, they would probably see Steed as like, well, it's a good thing he's got that umbrella because he doesn't do much He's like a heroic (laughs) penguin. In, in a sense. Right. <laughs> it's kind of how they play. I did like that they referenced his military background because, it's, and that's why he could fly and maneuver the back copter. So I like that because that was an important part of his character. So I like that. So it, it's good fun. If you know the Avengers, it's more fun. If you don't know the Avengers, you probably won't seek out the Avengers because of yeah, this. It kind of takes a while before they get, they really get into the action. Uh, you know, it's like right. kicking and there's a lot of, they, they're there for the action, but then as participants, it takes a little while. I, I thought it was, a, a, it'd be a bit more balanced than this, uh, especially given that uh, Edgington, the, the the writer, was the writer of the Boom series, which I did enjoy, starring yes. Steed and Mrs. Peel. So uh, yeah, I thought he'd be yeah, a little more on point or love them a little more, let's say, give them a little more love in the in the book itself. Although, although I, I do find it interesting that like Robin takes a backseat or, uh, you know, a passenger seat 
in each of the vehicle scenes. <laughs> That's right. Robin's not a driver. Even his own cycle. I know. Maybe I guess he doesn't drive the cycle on the show. It's Batman, right? I yeah. think he's too young, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. I think he's too young. So he's always in the sidecar. <laughs> but it looks like it's a Robin cycle kind of look. But uh, because we're used to, you know, uh, Robin on the Bat cycle in, uh, you know, right. like Tim Drake rides the, 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 the motorcycle or even Dick, the, the motorcycle. But uh, here it's like uh, he's letting uh, Mrs. Peel drive that. And the Batcopter is driven by Steed, so uh, Robin's always a passenger, never a driver. It, it is funny. I, I liked those scenes. It's sort of at the same time, it, it was sort of a joke of its time, sort of like Robin being scared of a woman driver. That's sort of the way I took it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I guess that is appropriate for the 60s, not so much today. But I, I, it was still a funny scene. I sort of had a few laughs. And there, there was another scene that seemed odd to me with Mrs. Peel when she paid Robin several compliments, which seemed a bit odd and out of place uh, because she she was never one to wish to receive or to give compliments. She was always full of sarcasm and wit. So that seemed a little odd. And she even invited him to call her Emma, which... Uh, she was never Emma. She was always Mrs. Peel. <laughs> Even to Steed. Yeah. It was her closest Absolutely. partner. So that, yeah. Right. Yeah. Just still manage that banter and with the Batman's bit arch kind of uh, speech patterns. And, uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, so you've got the classic bits. One classic bit that isn't in here really, to my disappointment, is the sound effects. There are moments when the, um, when the, the robot girls sort of frizzle and 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 die they do a snap crackle pop joke yes so you know rice krispies not a sponsor but <laughs> but still but they don't have like the big sound effects when there's like the, the this fighting i don't think the art actually captures that part of it that's a good point yeah i agree with you completely about that i as i was reading through it because of it being Batman 66, I always expect that. The sound effects in this look almost more like traditional sound mm -hmm. effects. You know, they're incorporated within the images as opposed to overpowering the images, which is what we expect. Even as a digital book, because a lot of the, some of the better digital books to me, and yes. this was true of the first Batman 66 digitals, uh, you would, as you scroll, you know, uh, bubbles and sound effects would appear. So it was just like yes. the, the page wasn't finished until you scrolled through it three, four times, and it just seems to appear because it's the same size as your screen. So you, there's no actual scrolling. And that's one of the cool things about digital comics, as they were developed early. But this is very traditional. It's like it's already the art that's going to be on the page there's no layering uh, that right. happens in the like so that's that would be a, like a nice way to introduce special effects or stuff like that yes. and it doesn't happen so uh, it's kind of already drawn to, for the issue it's already you know they're just like split up every page in half and yeah. it's it's going to be published as is more or less uh, so that's a bit disappointing I don't know that Matthew Dow Smith is necessarily the best artist for the the tone of this kind of story especially Mrs. Peel. I think Mrs. Peel is rarely seen smiling, and yet yeah. I, I see her as a like a someone who always has a, a smirk on her face. You know, someone who is a smirk. Well, that's absolutely right. right. You know, she's always she kind always of always has a smirk, grinning, or you know, she's she's having fun in the middle of these adventures, and uh, we don't have enough uh, as far as close-ups or expressions on her face. And not that the likeness is necessarily bad, but you just don't get that. Mm, that that expression that makes her such a right. such a sassy character. That's such a good point. And I had actually made a note, Siskoid, where my thought was, you know, this is Steed and Mrs. Peel, but Mrs. Peel comes off almost more as Kathy Gale. Mm. And I think that's a valid point because Honor Blackman's Kathy Gale was always stoic. She never smiled. She didn't, you know, she really was very sarcastic as well, too. But she didn't have that sort of you know, wry smirk or anything like that. So several times during this, my thought was, well, this is, she's dressed like Mrs. Peel, but she seems more like Kathy Gale. And I think that your comment there too goes toward that same thought I had. Mm -hmm. It was good fun. I, I liked it. And it's nice to chat with somebody else who appreciates both uh, franchises. And I love your comments. Well, just one last thing. I love your comments about the digital comics because those early Batman 66, I used to show those off to other friends. Here's why you need to get digital. Isn't this neat? And then they stopped it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's too bad. A fun world to dive into, and I've enjoyed the conversation. And I always love the word play. I think that came across well. So That's true. It's a very satisfying read. 
So who fared better? This is our final debate uh, where we each kind of defend our side of things by uh, looking at different points of the issue. Is Did Batman and Robin come off better or did Steve and Mrs. Peel, the Avengers, come off better? So the first question is how well this fits in each of the, the, the stories' atmospheres. Is this a Batman story? Or is this an Avengers story? What do you think? I think it's more of a Batman story. Yeah, it's a Batman story yeah. guest starring the Avengers and an Avengers villain. True, yeah. Although there are a lot of uh, members of the rogues gallery from Batman as well. We get Catwoman, we get Mr. Freeze, we get Fog. So they even outnumber the, well, I guess if you count each Cybernaut. <laughs> Right. The the Cybernauts outnumber, but, you know, yeah. There's like one threat from the Avengers and then multiple threats from the Batman side of things. No, I agree. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's it's a Batman title. I think that's appropriate. And, you know, we love Batman, so we're happy to spend time in Batman's world, too. But I think it's definitely a Batman yeah, story. Even, I, I don't know, you tell me, would a scene like the one where Emma Peel dances with the bees, does some bee whispering... <laughs> Uh, would the bee whispering be <laughs> would have been appropriate for an Avengers uh, episode, or is that strictly bad dance stuff? Yeah, that that's the bat two scene. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> that the Avengers. I mean, certainly they did manage to put Mrs. Peel in some situations uh, and in some costumes during the course of the series, but her actually uh, doing something like that, no, she would uh, she would smirk at that. <laughs> Yeah, that crossed the line. Okay. Uh, so it does. it is like the, the tone of the Batman 66 more so than Avengers. We can right, agree on yeah. that, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, everybody gets little winks and nods to each of their franchises. But even the, the ending, I guess, because meeting the queen at the end, it's like the, that special guest star, the, you know, that the Batman show used to do stuff like that all the time. Yes. That was nice they threw her in there because I was waiting for someone to stick their head out of the lighthouse exactly. window as they yeah, walked. Yeah, that's the, the one, one bit <laughs> Missing as they climb up the the classic shot of them going up the line. Cool moves. Cool moves. Who had the coolest moves? Was it Batman or was it the Avengers? So what's a cool move that the Avengers pulled off? Oh, well, I'll speak up for Mrs. Pill and her martial arts talent. So when she flips Catwoman's uh, henchman, love that. And then also that final kick of Miss Goff to reveal she's a cybernaut. That was really cool. And I'll say very early on again, I thought Steed's introduction when he trips Catwoman with his umbrella, that was a very Steed-like thing because he would always do subtle things like that that, uh, you know, you almost don't notice. And uh, so that was actually a nice little initial scene and one of my favorites of his in the book. And then, of course, him flying the Batcopter, like I mentioned earlier. Those were those were two good scenes of his. Yeah, there is a, uh, you make a good point where the Avengers were the kind of cool where they were extremely efficient. No extra moves, you know, no extra, it's like very simple ways of, you know, e- efficiency in their fighting styles, if we can even call them that. Yeah. For Batman and Robin, I will say that their cool move is the two pit trap resolutions. Uh, because it, in both cases, uh, they're hanging for dear life with one of the Avengers and uh, find a way out. So Batman actually lets himself drop, which is like there's a weird... Because <laughs> he's hanging from the ledge, and then <laughs> Emma is hanging from him, and then she throws down the, the retarded foam, and that solidifies the steam machine so you can actually drop on it. They drop, they fall, and Batman somehow lands first to catch her, <laughs> even though she was lower. So, so uh, yeah, that's um, some cool bat moves there. <laughs> and I do like how, you know, yeah, very much. Uh, he falls faster than, than, you know, Emma Peel is you know, light as a feather, obviously. But, um, <laughs> yeah, and you've got the same thing with Robin where he, he goads Mr. Freeze into making a wrong move and pulls himself out and, and you know, that punch through the umbrella. And that, that's all very cool stuff. I think that as far as action beats go... That's as good as it gets in this book. What about mm. dumb or weird moves? So I'm asking you to trash your characters here, uh, in a sense. But uh, what didn't play right for you with the Avengers? Oh, I would say what I mentioned earlier about Miss Pill using sports commentary during her fights. That just wasn't a fit. Yeah, and I think for me, the the thing that just, you know, got my goat or riled me or whatever was Steed not noticing the fountain pen prominently mm. sticking out of his jacket pocket 
I mean, anybody who knows John Steed, he's known for his impeccable fashion sense. There's no way that he would have not noticed that. And especially when he's even the one telling them about this is how the cybernauts followed their victims. And he's telling it while we see that pen prominently sticking out of his pocket. I was just like, oh, uh. that. Yeah. <laughs> not so good. Uh, yeah, for Batman, I'm, I'm, I mean, it's a classic shtick from the show. But, uh, you know, in the logic of the story, the, the old, uh, let's, let's have pencil mustaches and call it a disguise is, <laughs> I mean, it's perfect for Batman 66, don't get me wrong, but it is silly. So, uh, I, I'm giving that as their, uh, their weak, the, you know, their weak move in, in this, their, their kind of dumb move. Um, because otherwise, I think the, the dynamic duo is really well served by the story. You know, they're, they're the ones with all the gadgets and they're the ones with, even when they go to England, they still have a British Batmobile and they're, they still know where they're going. And it's like, they're not, I, I thought the, the second half of the story would be more Avengers driven because we were on their turf. But no, Batman's turf is everywhere. <laughs> just, just how it is. Finally, the friendly farewell. The friendly farewell. It's a team-up tradition. The the last page, the last panel, where the heroes usually say goodbye. Here they don't say goodbye, but uh, I guess we can still call this a final scene. What did you think of this uh, farewell between the two teams? I did like. I thought it was neat for them to go and meet the queen. I didn't actually remember that part as I was reading it again the second time. So I was waiting to see who it was going to be. And I thought that was a neat thing to throw in. I, I liked that, you know, she was a big fan. And uh, I like Mrs. Peel's funny lines. Uh, Ruth, you were talking about them earlier, too. And Robin had some funny lines yeah. as well. It was, it was a good scene. Yeah, I like Mrs. Peel telling them to straighten their tie and their cape. Or no, not straighten their tie, straighten their cowl and their cape. <laughs> and I guess that makes them the winners. The Avengers are the, the winners of the farewell. Uh, it's always hard to, to gauge that kind of thing. But, you know, socially, you, you are on our territory here. And uh, you're going to do this thing that we know what, how to do it properly. And uh, Batman and Robin are kind of anxious which isn't, you know, isn't right. their usual uh, <laughs> psychology. So it's like, oh, uh, this is actually a big deal. And it's thanks to this adventure and thanks to the Avengers that, that this happens. I wonder if Batman gets knighted. Uh, probably. <laughs> Sir Batman. Uh, all right. Now we'll take a break of a couple of promos. Uh, we'll be back with our bonus team-ups. This Nunday on Amalgam TV. It's night. Using his trusty umbrella, Batsteed floats from building to building, keeping an eye on the streets below. A tip of his hat signals Mrs. Robbins in the shadows of a dark alley. She moves into position behind a group of scoundrels loading stolen items onto a lorry. A few kicks and punches later, all of the villains lay on the ground. However, a lookout hides above and aims a rifle at the unknowing Mrs. Robbins. A moment later, a bowler hat whips by, the sharp metal blade along its rim easily slicing through the barrel of the gun. What happens next? Don't miss this week's exciting episode of the Batvengers. Hi, I'm Ruth. And I'm Darren of the Rat Adventures Network. We're a married couple who enjoy great stories of all kinds, including adventures, mysteries, science fiction, and fantasy. Please join us for a variety of podcasts focused on a range of pop culture topics. Trekker Talk is about 23rd century bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair from the comic Trekker by writer and artist Ron Randall. It's a blend of classic sci-fi adventures and noir mysteries set in a retro future. Xenozoic Xenophiles is about the comic Xenozoic Tales by writer and artist Mark Schultz. It's a post-apocalyptic adventure series filled with Cadillacs and dinosaurs. Warlord Worlds covers the many comics of writer and artist Mike Grell, including The Warlord, John Sable, Green Arrow, and The Legion of Superheroes. Sensational Sluice, where we talk about favorite mystery novels, movies, and TV shows. Fantastic Fantasies, where we share our favorite fantasy films and books. And Amazing Adventures, where we discuss action-packed adventure stories. Listen on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or visit RadAdventuresNetwork.com to find all of our shows and links to our social media pages. That's Rad, R-A-D, which is short for Ruth and Darren.
Kinky boots, kinky boots. Kinky boots, it's a manly kind of fashion that you borrowed from the brutes. Borrowed from the brutes. Kinky boots, fashion magazines, they wear them. And you rush to obey like the women in the harem. Full length, half length. Fully fashioned calf length. Brown boots, black boots. Patent leather jack boots. Low boots, high boots. Lovely lanky thigh boots. We all dig those boots. Everybody's crazy for those kinky boots, kinky boots. Kinky boots. And whether you're in evening dress or bathing suits. You wear boots, boots, a kinky boots. We're back. One final feature, the bonus team-up, in which each of us proposes a perfect Avengers team-up. And I do mean the real Avengers. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, I guess there are three of us, and so three possible team-ups, uh, whether television or comics. I mean, we can, we can imagine anything we want. Uh, Darren, want to go first? Yeah, thank you, Siskoid. You know, I had trouble with this because... The first thought that came to my mind was the Avengers meet the Wild Wild West because, you know, both of those shows are from the 60s. They blend action and espionage and science fiction well. They're, again, both duos, so I thought they would mesh well together. But then I thought there's that need for time travel because the shows are set 100 years apart. So I eliminated that. And instead, uh, the next thing I thought of immediately was, oh, the Avengers meet Remington Steele and Laura Holt. Mm. Yeah, I I really like that idea because you get a lot of little interconnections again with Pierce Brosnan and the James Bond connection, but also the fact that Remington Steele filmed some episodes in the UK and those UK episodes were written by Brian Clemens, the head writer of The Avengers. So it just seemed a nice companion. Ah, makes sense. Ruth? I had fun with this, and I'm going to say the Avengers meet Johnny Quest and crew. Both shows have action, adventure, espionage, science fiction, and Johnny Quest and his team travel the globe, so I can easily imagine a story in the UK with a big team up of our heroes battling Dr. Zen. I'd love it. Animated? Animated, yes. I think the Avengers would look great animated. We've seen them in comics and stuff so much. I'd love them animated. That'd be cool. Uh, for me, well, I, I, I'm not sure I, w- I was all that imaginative, uh, but I had matched the original Avengers with Doctor Who. We just read a comic where the Cybernauts were featured in a team-up, so it feels, uh, well, maybe I can't do a Cyberman story. You know, it's redundant. But um, I, I'd reimagine the Seeds of Doom, mm-hmm. because it started life as an Avengers script, which is why the Doctor and Sarah Jane act so much like Seed and Mrs. Peel in that. You know, there's a lot more physical action and uh, Sarah Jane is his best friend and that, that kind of thing, which really sounds like Avengers dialogue. So uh, the crinoid would return for a second engagement and it really should feature an episode where the Avengers get to travel aboard the TARDIS. Yes. <laughs> Perhaps to, to stop the crinoids at the root. Aha. I love it. Aha. <laughs> I like that too. <laughs> and I didn't know that connection to the Seeds of Doom, so I'm really glad you shared that with us. And, you know, it's a perfect fit if you think about the Avengers episode, The Maneater of Surrey Green, because that had carnivorous plants. Yeah, that would be a really good ah. fit too. Yeah, it really does all sort of stitched together. And you know us, Siskoid, we love Doctor Who too. So that's a fabulous uh, connection. And I also think of other connections because Susan from the early seasons of Doctor Who, the the Doctor's granddaughter, her character was originally envisioned as a Kathy Gale from the Avengers type character. That's what they had in mind when they first got the idea for it. It didn't go that way, but that was their thought. And then plus, it's, it's another nice connection because Sidney Newman, who created Doctor Who, also created the original idea for the Avengers, but he just never took credit for it because he felt Brian Clemens, as head writer and producer, took the idea and took it so much further that he never took credit. It was always developed by Brian Clemens, but it's a great connection, and I'd love to see that. Right, because he worked at ITV before going to the BBC. That's right. A lot of connections there. I mean, some I didn't even know about, so... uh... When I thought up the kernel of an idea. So uh, somebody get on that, the uh, <laughs> Avengers Doctor Who, because apparently it's all interwoven together already. So it does make sense that, you know, that it couldn't happen. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for teaming up with me, Ruth and Darren. It was immensely fun to, to, to do this book with you. And uh, maybe uh, tell people where they can find you on the internets. Well, thank you very much, Siskoid. Uh, we've had a ton of fun, and we would invite anyone listening who would like to 
Check out our shows to go to radadventuresnetwork.com. That's rad, which is short for Ruth and Darren. We've got a variety of podcasts over there. We do Trekker Talk, which is about the sci-fi series Trekker by Ron Randall. And there's Warlord Worlds about the mini comics from Mike Grell. And Xenozoic Xenophiles, where we talk about the Cadillacs and Dinosaurs series by Mark Schultz. And we have a few other shows, including Sensational Sleuths, Fantastic Fantasies, and Convention Correspondence. And we would encourage anyone who wants to learn more about The Real Avengers to check out Episode 1 of our Super Secret Spies. Uh, it's all about the Avengers. We cover all of the seasons of the shows. Uh, we include the various cast changes, and you'll even learn the origin of Emma Peel's name. Oh, man. Yeah, it's good stuff. <laughs> and we also talk a little bit about when we attended the Avengers 50th anniversary celebration in the UK, which had a lot of cast and production team there. It was great. Fabulous. And that was a birthday gift to me from my lovely wife, Ruth. Uh, you know, you guys are more experts on the Avengers than I, than I even thought. <laughs> well, yeah, I've loved it. I, I can't remember a time I didn't know who the Avengers or Star Trek or the Wild Wild West were. They exist as far back as my memories go. Uh, well, a reminder uh, that we do enjoy reading your comments and that the best place for that is fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can also visit the Fire and Water Podcast Network Facebook page or tag us on Twitter using the hashtag FWPodcasts. Uh, so we'll see you next time for another amazing superhero team up because after all, justice is a team effort. urgente. Batman au micro. Avis à tous nos amis. Message extrêmement important. C'est capital. C'est palpitant. Assez de superlatifs, Batman. Et venons-en au fait. C'est exact, Robin.